Hi, everyone. I'm Celia Keenan-Bolger, and this is Sunday Pancakes, a podcast to nourish your head and heart any day of the week. How's it going? I am really excited to share this conversation this week. We talk a lot about stepping into unknowns in this conversation. And it's made me think about when I made the first episode of this podcast with Danae. And I think initially the whole reason that I wanted to do this was so that I could connect with people and share experiences and have great conversations. And I feel like I'm a pretty good listener and I'm also very nosy. And so I was like, I'm going to be a great podcast host. And then I recorded the first episode and I realized that hosting a podcast and having a conversation, uh, those two things are very, very different because in real life, (laughs) I don't really finish my sentences or thoughts. There's not a real arc to what I'm talking about. And I interrupt people all the time and I finish that conversation And I told my husband, I was like, I think I need to make a podcast on the side about how hard it is to do something new. And then the next interview with Pippa, I decided to turn our Zoom cameras off because I thought it would make it easier for me to concentrate on what she was saying. And then I realized, no, I actually really like to look at people while I'm talking to them. And I guess all of this is to say that it has been this real process of learning and failing and figuring things out. And my guest today is so good at stepping into new creative spaces. And I think the first time we met was in an apartment that overlooked Central Park, and she was having the first ever reading of the new musical that she had written based on the movie Waitress. And it was one of those afternoons that I remember so vividly because it feels like so many parts of it had been touched by like some kind of magic. So there were actors who had been assembled and we read the script and then we would get to a song and my guest would sit down at the piano and she would sing it. And I think all of us felt so lucky to be there because it felt very special to be some of the first ears to hear this music. But As I have really thought about it, I think what we were also responding to was the energy and the spirit of the whole afternoon, which it turns out is such an extension of who Sarah Bareilles is as an artist and how the spaces that she creates are so positive and fun and have this sort of ease around them. And then After that reading, one of my best friends became really close with her. And so we started getting a little bit more time together. And then in this past year, we found ourselves in the same pod. And I think we saw each other in a very different uh, and totally new light. I feel like there were evenings of just despair and a feeling of complete helplessness. And we would take these long walks around this lake upstate and just get in there and talk about how we were going to do this for the next year. And I think 
in my life, when I look back on 2020, I think she is going to be a major feature of how I remember it and quite honestly, how I got through it. So I am really happy to welcome Sarah Brellis to the podcast. I teared up a little bit and then I'm like, (laughs) save it for later in the interview. Sheesh. (laughs) It's funny when I was thinking about writing this, I was like, we're sort of new friends. And yet we had this really intense year. And I was just thinking about like, in general, new friendships. And like, especially when both, since both of us were really close with Gavin and just in general, like how that dynamic sometimes works out so well and sometimes doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And just what it was like sort of being let in to each other's lives and being let in this past year at a time when both of us were like, what's going to happen to us? Oh, totally. I think to your point, knowing how beloved you are to Gavin and how beloved he is to me, there was already like a a real sense of connection and safety. And I, I knew you were like a precious little jewel of a human. And then but I think the context of last last year, it was like, there was just no time to beat around the bush. We just dove into the deep stuff because that's just where we were all swimming anyway. And I felt, I don't know if this was, if it was this way for you, but that's, it felt like such a deep clarifier for me. I just couldn't, I couldn't spend energy or time with people that didn't fuel me up or make me feel safe or nourished in some deep way. Yeah. And I feel like we had so many talks about like what we were learning along Mm -hmm. the way where we were like, where do we, how, where do we feel like we are now? And I've just been thinking about like, just this day alone that you have experienced when I like think about where we were this time last year, if we had said like, okay, so here you are like sitting on a couch with not one thing to do, not one thing. And this year you're like, television show premiered last night. Later today, you're about to get on a YouTube and give us the mini set from the live from the Hollywood Bowl amidst the chaos album. Like, how are you navigating that re-entry? Let's see. How do I feel? It really changes day to day. Today, I feel kind of like buzzy and warm. It's a wild, this re-entry is wild. It feels like how can you possibly do anything without some sense of understanding of the context of the life we're in and the conversation that's always happening in our industry and about social justice? And that I feel like there's this sense of what really matters. And yet we have to find space to celebrate the little things that we're doing and choices we've made and projects that come to life that you know, my, my live record's not going to save the world, but it matters to me. And I am, (laughs) I'm excited to celebrate it and share it. And, you know, we didn't come up with the vaccine in Girls 5 Eva, but we hopefully will bring joy to some people and help them smile and laugh. So it's always a, a balancing act. I feel like last year was so private in so many ways. Like there was so little noise. And for me, a big part of the discomfort of last year was not having distractions or just like tiny sources of joy that it all felt just a little bit flat and also quiet in a way that made me um, 
have to just sit with a lot of things that I didn't really want to sit with. And now it's like you're having a much more public facing life with more distractions and less downtime. Has that been a relief or do you feel like sometimes you wish you could go back? The thing that feels like I, that for me needs examination that I don't have a good answer to yet is the social media side of things. I feel in such a stark way, this tremendous pressure to stay available and engaged. And, and now, as I was mentioning before, with the importance of the conversation around social justice, it feels like a really awkward space to carry. Here's this thing I made that I'm really excited about. And I love this dress I'm I'm getting to wear, or, you know, like some of those things that feel so unimportant (laughs) when they're up against these issues that I think rightfully so take up so much of the air in the room. What I like about online presence is in general is when I get to see into the brains of like people I would never know in this life and how creative human beings are, how mm-hmm. funny they are, how silly they can be, how how much they bring a levity. Like that's the stuff that I really I get appreciate that I get, that I get to see. And I think that's part of what, I mean, I think anybody who follows you on social media is there mostly to be like, what are the insides of like Sarah Bareilles's brain, both creatively and personally, so that then when you do share something like your struggles with mental health, it actually does have this enormous impact because, you know, you're getting to see like all the good and shiny stuff that, you know, that's what we're there for partially. But then, but are you... When you're talking about like having a hard week, are you thinking ahead of time? Like, how am I going to put this out there? Or are you just like, you know what? I'm just going to see what comes out if I, if I start to talk. I think I don't do a lot of premeditation in terms of what I present on social media. Cause I think for me, the most kind of authentic way to show up is to just show up. Mm -hmm. But I also, I have had such, um, I've had so many people reach out about mental health and I can see that there's, uh, people need to be reminded, or at least my fam- my audience appreciates so much being reminded that that's a space that I touch often in my life and have to just cope. And that the more, the older I get and the more tools I have, the easier it is to know that when I do hit a low, I know I'll be okay and time will Mm. pass and something will shift and I will find the edges of that space again. What do you feel like changed when you were like, oh, this is like, it seems like there was a sort of before and after where you understood your, your mental health better. Do you feel like it was one thing that changed or was it just like living on the planet for a certain number of years and being like, oh, I can historically look back and see that I'm going to be okay? I think for me, the biggest change was talk therapy. Um, So I've been in therapy for many, many, many years, every week. And it's- Me too. It is. (laughs) It's, I I am a huge advocate of, of therapy in general. And I've been lucky to have a great therapist that I really- 
look to for guidance. And sometimes it's just the articulation of your thoughts and they, the, like the boogeyman go away a little Mm. bit when you start just allowing what's true to be true. And you realize how devastatingly ununique you are, (laughs) How, how are all of our anxieties and fears and worries are so ubiquitous and so relatable so um getting into the practice of just sharing that those like the monsters under the bed they start to feel less foreign and less scary um and then meditation is another huge part of the equation for me in terms of my okayness i i think getting to know your own mind and watch your own habits in a way that's not judgmental and just kind of catch yourself as you're getting on the ride and going and when, you know, I'm like, oh, there I'm doing the thing where I get really tight and controlling and I start feeling really angry and I can choose to soften that and then watch, you just get the, this amazing opportunity to do it differently, which I think is like, what a gift. Wow. Of awareness. It's funny. Cause you feel to me like such a you seem so like California grounded, earthbound, like not a lot of crazy manic noise energy. And then I feel like this past year, you were like, oh yeah, I'm definitely, I'm contending with that on on a regular basis. And I was like, that just does not, it's, I think it's interesting that you, you are able to present in a way that you're not leading with that. But that it is something like when it comes up in, say, where does it come up the most? Like when you start feeling like, oh, the noise. Um, I was trying to think of like what would be a really. So like a sense of claustrophobia, sometimes is it is a an indicator that there's something I'm not saying. There's mm. something I'm not um expressing too. And a lot of times it can manifest in partnership. So Joe has been, my partner, Joe has been such an incredible partner to me because he has a tremendous capacity for emotional intelligence and patience. And, um, and that a lot of my anxieties can show up in relationship and even sometimes in friendship, like you know, Gavin, for example, is someone who's like, I care so much about this relationship. Sometimes I get really like angsty and anxious about it in a way that's like, oh, this is just my stuff that comes up. And I don't know if it's worrying about pleasing people, wanting everyone to be okay, a really deep sense of fear when there's any kind of discomfort or disagreement or, and and just having to you know, I grew up in a family where we didn't have a lot of, there wasn't really any anger or a lot of arguing or when there was, it was just like a flash. It was like, you know, mom got pissed off and slammed a door and cooled (laughs) off and came back. And then it was like, everything's fine. So I don't think I ever really learned how to have a relationship with my own just sense of discomfort. And I think Mm. that's a real, that's another kind of like emotional pandemic in, in our especially in our country and culture that we really are averse to feeling uncomfortable and we do everything in our power to medicate or distract or, you know, sidestep 
what I think is ultimately just like a super human experience that was like, sometimes we're sad. When you were talking about like getting these glimpses at artists, like through social media or, you know, however we, the people that we admire or, or even the people that we've never heard of that we suddenly get to see artistic expression from, I can't help but wonder as you are working with Tina Fey, and as I feel like you are becoming more and more of a person who is a lady in charge of things <laughs> and just how that feels, both the, the how it feels to be a woman in charge and also what, if anything, you gleaned watching her sort of um, work on that show. I felt so lucky to get this little glimpse into both Tina and Meredith who... Um, they're just, they're really smart. They know what they want. They are great communicators and they're kind. And so I feel like there's, that's, that's kind of, that's what it should be to me. That's the North star. It's like, that's how I would want. That's how I choose to lead when I'm in a position of leadership. And, and I look up to that so much because they're also making such these are huge undertakings. So to be able to move through that and the stresses and to have enough patience to offer generosity and kindness along the way, I think it makes for such a wonderful work environment. And I remember when you were on Little Voice and you were like, I'm an executive producer on this show. And I'm like walking around with headphones and people are like, Sarah, what um, do we do about this? And you're like... <laughs> Like they don't know that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> As you are starting to go into all of these different spaces where it might be your first time mm -hmm. in that position, how are you navigating your feelings of either inadequacy or imposter syndrome or, or I actually have the answer for this and nobody is listening to me? Like what, how does, what's that like? Well, so my feelings about imposter syndrome are just like, you got to get over it. it. It is truly, it is in everybody. I just, we just did Jimmy Fallon the other night and we were talking to Questlove and he's directing. He's like, I got to get over my feelings of imposter syndrome. And I'm like, if you, one of the most successful human beings on the planet earth, if you are feeling this this shit is everywhere and we have to, we have to get over it. We have to stop apologizing for what we don't know and step into the space of trusting our intelligence and asking the questions about what we don't know. But I also find that, you know, for me doing things that I haven't done before has been my newest sort of life's passion. I think that's early on in my recording artist career, I just realized how cyclical that, that trajectory is. And I got bored, frankly. And I was like, well, I know I love making music and I hopefully will get to do this till the end of time, but I don't think I can just do this exactly the same way every time, because I don't know how I'll ever make anything new. Mm -hmm. And so that was when I wrote the book of essays and then started working on Waitress. It was just saying yes to things that felt new. And holy shit, I've never had a bigger like lesson from the universe or God or whatever of just like, yes, this is the path for you. I remember you saying 
in an interview that you felt like when you did waitress, you're, you were suddenly taken seriously in a whole new way professionally. And it was so striking to me because in some ways, I think being a theater, at least being a theater actor, yeah, you sometimes feel like the redheaded stepchild of the entire entertainment industry where it's like, nobody knows who you are. You don't make any money, but you're like, God, I really love to do this more than anything. And so then hearing you say, actually, there were people that came to me who would have never come to me before, but suddenly I had done something in the theater and it changed things. And I found that so exciting and inspiring. I think it's so, it was very striking to me. I did not realize how closely watched the theater industry is because sometimes it feels like, you know, it's the biggest little show on earth where it's like the Broadway community is like the size of your thumb and also as big as the world, you know, it's the, it's this incredible paradoxical place, which is part of its magic. I think the people who choose to do it because it is relatively thankless. Sometimes the people that are here, it's like living in New York. Nobody's here that doesn't want to be here. It's too hard. It's just too hard. You cannot live in New York unless you want to live in New York. And that's why I fucking love New York. I read your book last year and it it makes me think about how in some ways as we get older, it might feel easier to step into places that were like, I don't really know anything about this, but I trust myself enough to do it. But also that I would say inside of the music industry and the television industry, there is something about growing older that those industries do not value. And just like the tension, if you feel that, the tension of both like coming into this power at 41 and also feeling like these are two industries that are like trying to devalue Mm. women, I think in particular, as you age into that. Oh man, it's so hard. The first thing I thought when I got the phone call from Tina and Meredith about Girls 5 Eva, the very first thing I thought was, oh no, I'm going to be ugly on camera. Thinking of my aging skin and my wrinkles and that I don't look the way I looked when I was, I mean, I've always had issues with like, you know, body dysmorphia and feeling, feeling whatever way I feel about the way I look. But it is, it is a terrible disease that we have, especially as women. But I think there are plenty of other just beings who relate to this feeling that we start to devalue ourselves as we age. So I I get excited that someone like Tina and Meredith created this opportunity for women, leading roles for women in their forties. And they're fucking great parts. They're funny. They're like <laughs> ridiculous. They're insane. They're musical. They're heartwarming. And so I think because they, you know, we, we have to carve out those spaces for other women as well. I was just doing, it was like some exercise in a, and I don't mean a physical exercise. I mean, <laughs> a, I mean, a journal prompt that was like, what are your patterns? Like, what are you in the habit of? And thinking about I was thinking about this on my television set, but I was thinking about it even like walking down the street that there is this sort of thing that I'm doing that's like, how do I 
is that per, is that woman more thin, more uh-huh. beautiful than I am? Like, where do I fit in comparison to them? Right. And I was like, that is a habit. Yeah. That is something I do in so many spaces or just, you know, not just spaces, but like the, the, the world that I was like, what is, what are the ways that I can deprogram that kind of thinking? Because it is doing, of course, I understand it does absolutely, excuse me, it does absolutely nothing except make me feel terrible about myself. Yeah. But I'm like, what is the need to do that? I mean, it is true to a certain extent that it's, we are brought up in a culture that tells us over and over and over again what it means to be beautiful. And it's really dangerous. Like, you know, I know young women in my life and there's body image issues, there's eating disorder, there's pressure to, you know, be sexualized before they're ready. To, like all of this stuff, it's just so pervasive. So I think um, no wonder we think that. It's just, it is a part of what we get fed um, and choose to feed ourselves with right. sometimes. I think that's where I am in the loop of it that I'm like, so the diet has been in place for a lot yeah. of years. So how are you going to, um, how are you going to step away yeah. or how are you going to change, change the Put diet? back the bag of self-loathing. Okay. Put it back <laughs> in the cupboard. We don't need it. We don't need that tonight. We don't need it. <laughs> You, I feel like you've talked a lot about, as we're just talking about all the different ways that you have been, that you've moved into all of these different parts of your career and that you seem so clear about where you belong when it comes to your creative expression and your art, but that you have a sort of paralysis or a a deep fear that you're going to make the wrong decision in your personal life. Do you think that's fair? Mm, Yes. Although I don't think, I think it's hilarious that it seems like I'm so sure of what I'm doing professionally. I've always had a harder time, at least in, in a love relationship to imagine that I could ever commit to something the way I can commit to my craft because it feels like that relationship and that trust in my source capital s um mm-hmm. is so has always been so holy for me that's been just like i mean joe said it really beautifully at one point to me he's like there's a part of you that is just spoken for so i think for those of us who you know think of ourselves as creative entities and we have to remain an open vessel to something that comes through in some ways that is a space that is not open to a partner or a friend or a loved one. It has to remain available. And so I think I was justified in being like a little bit, it was going to take the really the right special person to have enough generosity to say that like, that part of your dance card is taken up and I'm not going to try. I mean, it's not, it isn't for me and can respect those, you know, little bit of boundaries. And I have found over time, at least with Joe, the boundary has softened where now I'm like, I'll share a new song or a new idea with him in ways where I never, ever, ever felt safe to do that before. Did it feel like when you didn't want to share your art, was it because you were afraid that it would be 
that you wouldn't get the response that you wanted? Or would it feel like you were like, look at how amazing I am. I've made another thing. Oh no, it was like crippling insecurity, but it wasn't Mm. even that. I, maybe it was probably more of the wouldn't get the response I wanted or just didn't have the faith in the idea or, or it just always felt so private. It felt so mine and it wasn't, I mean, not, I mean, I always get to a place where I want to share the song, but it, sharing a song or a, a creative idea with an audience feels even maybe more intimate than with a partner or, or like a friend or something. I'm, I've just never been that person who's like, let me play you this new song I have. I'm just too squeamish. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I feel like there are a lot of conversations in my house where, John will say like, I didn't even know. And this is sort of less creative, but he's like, you know, you tell your siblings or your friends something. And I haven't like, how come you didn't tell that to me? Mm -hmm. And I'm like really thinking about, because I share a lot with him. And I also think sometimes when you've been married for 13 years, that that person ends up hearing a lot more about the struggles Mm -hmm. and less about like, this is what's inspiring me. This is what's like on my mind about what I'm going to do that for some reason, I don't necessarily go to him with those ideas, but I do go to him to bitch about how things Uh, aren't working out. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It feels like I, I'm, I am just curious for myself, like, why is it easier to share with other people sometimes mm. than it is to share with the person that, you know, that I love the most and yeah. that, ha- that I am the most intimate with? I wonder if it has, I mean, do you feel like you saw a shift when William was born, that it became this part of your relationship that is so much in the foreground is about parenting and that takes up so much air? that maybe in some ways that's just a part of like how how an opportunity to rediscover that space for you guys together. I think what you said about like this, you know, there's going to be a part of me that's, that's spoken for. I, that like made me want (laughs) to just burst into tears (laughs) because I think when you become a mother, if you feel that way about like being a creative person Mm -hmm that can feel like it's in a little bit of jeopardy or that you're like, I have to constantly navigate carving out that space for myself and showing up for this tiny human. And I think what has happened for me, I think you're like, it's so wise to say like, did, did that shift when William was born? And I think that that's, that there is definitely a part of that, that like when when you are sharing, when you're trying to sort of um, protect the parts of yourself that you know you need in order to like <laughs> just have the batteries charged, yeah, that sometimes that can get displaced or that you feel like, you know, this isn't the person that I do this with. When in fact, that's the person that could probably be the most helpful. But you, for whatever reason, you just decide like, you know, I'm either going to keep this for me or not, um, or share it, you know, with somebody else in some ways, like thinking about this past year, because our circles got so much smaller. Like one of the things that I'm feeling in this re-entry process is just like, even the small interactions with people that I, you know, maybe know a little bit, like those have all of a sudden become 
so much more meaningful mm-hmm. than they ever were before. And I think in some ways, you know, everybody obviously is is wired differently, but that I think sometimes those small interactions actually help me show up as a parent or as a wife better. Whereas I think for John, he was like having this quiet, having this space for myself makes me feel so present. Yeah. Because he's an introvert. And yeah. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm just craving human energy, like other people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I tried to break up with Joe over the pandemic and he's like, <laughs> relax, take a trip, go hang out with Gavin and Celia. <laughs> the amount of stressors that have, you know, arisen over the last year and a half is just beyond. I mean, we have been pushed to our limits in such deep ways. And then again, to come back to that idea of like, it's been so clarifying in certain ways as well. And then those non-negotiables are like, start feeling so present where you're like, oh, I actually, I cannot exist without close relationships that are outside my relationship or close (laughs) friendship outside my relationship. I can't, I can't commit to a happy life that doesn't make space for that. Just in this next year, where are you like, I hope that this, um, I hope I'm able to show up in this way, or I hope I'm able to sort of thread this thing that I learned this past year. I think for me, it's been something I've talked about for a really long time. And maybe if I start saying it out loud to people as a real intention that will come to fruition, um, is that I think I've been wanting to start a foundation And that can hopefully allow me to be engaged with organizations that are doing great work and support them in a more substantial way. Um, I don't think I would be, you know, building a nonprofit from the ground up, but it's so clear from this last year how little I knew about organizations on the ground, you know, in all kinds of different spaces. And I think there's a there is a better structured way for me to show up for that for that for the activism piece of my life. I just don't think we can go back. We can't go back as we go forward. We have to we have to we have to embrace the fact that we're in a in an uncomfortable time and it's uncomfortable on purpose and it should be. Thank you for this. I love you so much. I love you so much. I really appreciate you taking your time. I know your life is feckin' crazy right now. No, I've been looking forward to this. I just, I remember Celia being in the car ride going up to Gavin's when you talked about this. And I don't know if it had been one of the first times. It was the first time I had heard about it. And you were really on the fence about like, oh, can I do this? I don't know. And I just am so proud of you for making this happen because it's so good I just I love listening I'm a genuine fan of this of the conversations you have so good on you so since that conversation I keep coming back to the part when Sarah was talking about her partner Joe who said that a part of her was already spoken for and when she said it I think It hit me really hard for reasons that I expressed in that conversation. But upon further reflection, what I keep wondering is how we hold on to that part of ourselves while also keeping ourselves open to the people that we love. And I think it's it feels like this tension of 
of understanding that there are things, whether they're creative, whether they are emotional or, you know, however they show up, that can just be ours. But that the importance of communicating that we're thinking about them to the people that we love, it's not that we have to share what we're thinking about necessarily, but it's that we have to at least give the people that we love a window into what we are trying to process or what we're trying to make or where we are feeling stuck so that we that there's a little bit of flow and i think what i'm learning is that when i just open up that space a little bit it lets in some more light from the people that i love and that it actually ends up helping me process whatever i'm going through that feels like it has to be just mine so, you know, I'm just thinking about that and trying to be a little bit better as I go forth in this life. Okay, the weekly roundup for this episode is going to start out with this um, Ira Glass uh, little talk. He does this whole piece on storytelling, and there, are, I think, are four parts to it. But part three is called The Gap, and it's like a quick little just a just a morsel of really really helpful information where he talks about starting something new and trying to make something and how hard it is when basically your talent hasn't caught up to your taste i highly recommend it the next thing is a book about leadership by abby wambach called wolfpack and it is it's so both I, I feel like sports metaphors in some ways are so helpful she talks about at the sort of peak of her career or I guess sort of post peak of her career getting benched for one of uh, like a major game and how she was like is there a way for me to lead from the bench because I can't be out on the field and there are just she has these rules that we live by and then she tries to sort of reframe them. And I think there's a version for adults and there's a version for young adults. And her whole philosophy is that we have to lead with honor, which just feels like such a, a an important thought for this moment. Um, I really, really recommend it. And uh, and I think you will find it helpful. And then finally, um, there's an article in this past week's Atlantic magazine by Ed Young, who has done all of this really good journalism during COVID. And it's called What Happens When Americans Can Finally Exhale. And it starts out, out with him saying, if you've been swimming furiously for a year, you don't expect to finally reach dry land and feel like you're drowning. And I just thought it was so thoughtful about all of the ways that I think we can expect now to be like, okay, now we're just going to like step into this next part of our life when in fact, what we're really craving are places to process and grieve and heal and maybe even transform. So I really recommend checking that article out. That's all for this week. If you're feeling like rating or reviewing, always, I'm grateful for it. If you feel like sending a email, to sundaypancakespod at gmail.com. I would be so happy. And that's it. I cannot wait for the next episode. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. 
This week's episode was recorded in New York on the lands of the Lenape peoples. Sunday Pancakes is produced by me and Rachel Sussman of Plate Spinner Productions with editing and engineering by Tim Kashani and Ali Rice of Apples and Oranges Arts. The theme music is by Gavin Creel. Special thanks this week to John Conley. Sunday Pancakes is distributed by Playbill.